You are listening to a podcast of the Fleming Foundation. We are an organization pursuing real learning, original scholarship, and thoughtful living in a dying age. Welcome to another episode of Foreign Affairs. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and with me today is the one and only Dr. Serge Trifkovich. Dr. Trifkovich, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you again. I can really barely keep up with everything that seems to be happening in world news, but we're going to do our best to update our readers and our listeners on, shall we say, a balanced view of world events, particularly what's going on in Europe and near Europe. And we're going to start closer to your neck of the woods. So we're going to go east to west, and we're going to start with Turkey and Erdogan. And I thought we might start before talking about the the referendum that happened recently, so-called referendum, we might say, what was happening prior to the referendum, and then tell us what the referendum was about. Uh, the most important event, of course, was uh, the July attempted coup uh, ten months ago, which was supposedly uh, the work of uh, a group of officers connected with the exiled preacher uh, uh, Gulen, who resides in Pennsylvania. But there are many indications that, in fact, Erdogan may have been forewarned of what was about to happen and nevertheless allowed it to unfold because he concluded that, one, the coup was not meticulously planned and was not a serious threat to his survival, and two, that if it goes ahead and then collapses, He could use it as a means of uh, carrying out a massive purge of not only real but also imagined and potential political enemies in uh, the establishment. It is indeed remarkable that within days of the coup's failure, uh, some 100,000 people were arrested or otherwise processed, and 49,000, 1,000 short of 50,000 civil servants, policemen, judges, teachers, university professors, and of course army officers uh, were purged, many of them still linger in prison, and uh, uh, it is an open question when they will see uh, their day in court and under what circumstances. Now, This was a real boon to Erdogan, and he, in a a somewhat unguarded moment, actually uh, said that it was an Allah-sent opportunity, which uh, enabled him also to present himself to uh, the Turkish masses as a beacon of stability and uh, uh, the guarantee of continuity, and uh, also to prepare the ground for the referendum in which there was no real opposition because uh, the Turkish media scene is now more monolithic than at any time since the days of the founder of the Turkish Republic, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, who died uh, over 80 years ago. And uh, uh, some people uh, in the media have Uh, said that this was meant to produce an executive presidency comparable to that in the United States. In in fact, it's nothing of the kind. Uh, There are no checks and balances. Uh, This presidency tailored to Erdogan's needs and ambitions will be uh, really comparable to autocracy. And it is not for nothing that Erdogan's nickname is the Sultan, both among the friends and foes. 
what will happen in the near future, I think, is further departure from the secularist legacy of Ataturk and further marginalization of Turkey's urbane, Europeanized, pro-Western uh, professional elite in uh, Istanbul, Ankara, and along the Mediterranean coast. I think it will be a further affirmation of uh, the both demographically and culturally vibrant uh, conservative and Islamic uh, rural Turkey, which, by the way, by virtue of uh, an ongoing exodus from the villages uh, of Anadolia, into large cities and primarily Istanbul have tipped the balance even in uh, what used to be traditionally a very Western uh, oriented and European looking uh, de facto capital of Turkey. Uh, in practical terms, it also means that he will continue his detente with Russia because uh, among uh, uh, the Russian elite, he does not encounter any problems with people who question his democratic credentials and his violations of human rights. And at the same time, he sees some utility in uh, creating a more even-handed, more equidistant relationship uh, because he's, he's now in the bad books of both the European Union and uh, until recently the Obama administration. I think that Trump will adopt a more pragmatic attitude. Uh, he, in particular, is upset by the U.S. decision two days ago to uh, arm and equip the Syrian, Syrian Kurds, because in Erdogan's view, uh, talking of Syria, first and foremost, he's interested in preventing any kind of Kurdish statelet being established in uh, northern Syria along the Turkish border, because while he has reasonable rapport with uh, uh, the Iraqi Kurds, who actually use Turkey as a means of transporting their oil to uh, the transshipment uh, facilities on the Turkish Mediterranean coast, and thus bypassing the government in Iraq and avoiding their taxes. Uh, the, the Syrian Kurds are reputed to be close to the PKK, uh, the Kurdish Workers' Party, which is uh, prescribed in Turkey as a terrorist organization and uh, which is regarded by, by Erdogan as an existential threat. So uh, it is to be expected that unless the United States changes this decision, his relations with Washington may deteriorate even further. <coughs> of course, the United States is loath to extradite uh, Fethullah Gulen, uh, uh, the material uh, produced by the Turkish side with the extradition request is dubious in the extreme and certainly wouldn't withstand a legal challenge in the courts. But nevertheless, this demand still uh, stands as one of the obstacles in Erdogan's own, own words to normalizing relations with the United States. On the whole, Turkey is increasingly acting as uh, a self-confident regional power in its own right. Erdogan's recklessness, uh, which came uh, to the fore with the downing of the Russian Suhoi 24 bomber in November of 2015, uh, his serial U-turns and uh, his 
sometimes apparently unguarded statements, most recently against Israel in connection with the proposed ban on morning calls to play, uh, prayer in, uh, in uh, uh, Jerusalem mosques, uh, nevertheless, uh, so far indicate that even when he seems to be reckless, irrational, erratic, emotional, in the end, things turn out pretty well for him. And uh, it's indeed a remarkable career since his first victory uh, in 2002 onwards, he has actually pulled it off every step of the way, neutralizing the army, carrying out a messy purge of the officer corps in uh, 2010, uh, introducing constitutional changes which removed the military from uh, the role of uh, the guardians of secularism, and so on. So, in the end, uh, I would say that there is system in his apparent madness, and that uh, in terms of Machiavellian yardstick, uh, uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan is one of the most successful politicians of our time. What do you think the implications are for NATO and the EU? Because I, I feel that they're somewhat asymmetric in, in, in this regard. Well, uh, Turkey has been a member of NATO since the 1950s and uh, a very determined and uh, enthusiastic, one might say, member uh, all along until uh, only a few years ago. During the Cold War, Turkey allowed the positioning of uh, American Jupiter medium-range missiles along its Black Sea coast, and uh, their removal was one of the conditions for Nikita Khrushchev, the Soviet leader, to uh, give up on... Uh, uh, the installations of medium-range nuclear missiles in Cuba in 1962. Uh, the Turkish military had been a reliable partner of, uh, of NATO throughout the period, and uh, really the dismantling of the traditional military culture, uh, sorry, military uh, officer corps and structure has meant that NATO does not have reliable interlocutors, not even at Inchilik Air Base, which is still used by the United States Air Force. And uh, uh, the Turkish military has been neutralized as a political force in its own right. On the other hand, Turkey's application for EU membership has not been going anywhere for some years now. That application is over half a century old, and it is increasingly clear that within Europe, uh, within the EU, there are several key member countries, including France and Germany, which simply do not want uh, a country of 80 million, uh, a country which is uh, obviously still uh, primarily rooted in its Islamic tradition and uh, mode of thought and belief, to be a fully-fledged member. Uh, Erdogan has a very important tool at his disposal. He's still capable of unleashing or renewing the flood of migrants and refugees onto Europe. Uh, the agreement with the EU to stop that flood was predicated upon two very important concessions to the Turks. One is granting them visa-free travel within the Schengen zone of the European Union and the other is very substantial cash payments, ostensibly 
to take care of the migrants and refugees, but in fact, uh, it it actually looks like ransom money. And uh, uh, Erdogan's rhetoric in recent weeks has indicated that unless the EU gets its act together and speeds up uh, the fulfillment of these concessions to in, in every respect and detail, that uh, now with uh, uh, more uh, agreeable weather, uh, the ongoing ferry traffic to the Greek islands uh, may resume. In fact, there has been a significant increase in uh, uh, the influx of refugees by sea from Turkey to the Greek uh, islands of Kos, uh, Lesbos and Rhodes. And uh, it, it is maybe just a shot across the bow for, for, by Erdogan. If uh, and when this new wave comes, Europe is not prepared. The Balkan route is not really closed. And uh, we may see scenes reminiscent of the summer of 2015. Uh, Europe does not have the will, the political will and the wherewithal to physically stop the uh, this wave. Because, I mean, from what you're describing, it seems that Erdogan is holding all of the cards. Uh, or at least most of them. Uh, of course, he still has certain internal weaknesses. Uh, one of them is uh, the situation in southeast Turkey, where the restive Kurdish minority is being kept in check, not by being co-opted into the political process. He is, in fact, doing his utmost to marginalize Kurdish political leaders. But uh, if and when, and it's not really a matter of if, but when, uh, he assumes uh, extensive executive presidential powers, he will also become, ipso facto, the most responsible person for whatever happens. He will no longer be able to blame uh, Gulenists or opposition elements or secularists or leftists for things that go wrong. Uh, by becoming uh, an undoubted boss who holds uh, all of the key levers of power in his hands, he will also become uh, the person who will be held to account by ordinary Turks for the continuing insurgency in southeast Turkey or for the unclear Turkish strategy in the Syrian imbroglio, where one moment he seems to be ready to accept or rather to reverse the old slogan Bashar must go, another moment he seems to return to the hardline rhetoric that is reminiscent of his Saudi and Qatari friends. In essence, he is really torn between two objectives. One is to prevent the establishment of the Shiite crescent from Iran and uh, majority Shiite Iraq into Alawite-ruled uh, Syria and the Hezbollah outposts in northern Lebanon. On the other hand, he's uh, worried about the Kurds, the Syrian Kurds, and uh, uh, battling, or rather containing, the Syrian Kurds uh, does not allow for the possibility of simultaneous offensive operations against either the Syrian regime or uh, the Peshmergas and uh, uh, and uh, the Hezbollah, who have come to their assistance. Well, let's move further west, Dr. Trifkovich, to, to France. I was going to ask you if you expected this result, but I should couch it within the, did you expect him to make it to the second round? Because I think once he made it to the second round, it seemed as though 
this would be an obvious election, but can you comment on both rounds of the election? Uh, whoever came into the second round would have beaten uh, Marine Le Pen because uh, the establishment would have come together against the anti-Front National candidate. However, uh, to an outside observer, and uh, I follow French politics, but I'm not in France, and I don't know all the nuances, I think it's highly indicative that the establishment seems to have regarded Fillon as uh, the greater threat that, uh, in fact, uh, since it would have been obvious that by coming into the second round, Fillon would have beaten Marine Le Pen, that it was necessary to eliminate him first by uh, demonizing him through uh, the allegations of nepotism, corruption, and so on, and clearing the ground for the golden boy. And uh, uh, while I have no proof that this is indeed so, I believe that various statements made by, by Fillon about immigration, about the relations with Russia, uh, uh, rang alarm bells in the French deep state so that uh, it was deemed necessary first to neutralize uh, this right-wing traditionalist Gaullist with heretical thoughts on the rapprochement with Russia and uh, who sometimes almost seemed to hijack Marine Le Pen's rhetoric when it came to immigration and to Islam and thus to ensure that the establishment candidate in fact would not veer far from the decades-old establishment consensus. Hmm, that's interesting that you saw him as the first elimination necessary. And and you're right, there was a lot of overlap, but in his concession speech, the first thing he said was, and I have to imagine that a lot of his voters had sympathies with Marine Le Pen, obviously apart from the, the additional uh, baggage that comes with voting for the National Front, that his voters were more inclined to vote for her than to vote for Macron. And he made a very... Um, clear endorsement during his concession speech for Macron. Oh, uh, he would, wouldn't he? After all, uh, that's the price of continuing to belong to uh, the mainstream. However, uh, with 34% of the vote, uh, I think that uh, uh, it's less than she may have expected. It's less than what I myself expected. I thought it would be more in the region of 37.89. But uh, it's not bad considering the 24-7 demonization of uh, the National Front by the mainstream media and uh, this continuing opprobrium, the stigmatization of NF voters. However, uh, it is becoming obvious that uh, she has uh, reached the end of her career, that it is necessary to divorce uh, the NF under whatever future name from uh, 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 the uh, the family, uh, even though uh, it seems that uh, the split between the father and the daughter is not quite as deep and uh, and dramatic as uh, uh, they would have us believe, I still believe that uh, it is necessary to prove that this is a political party capable of uh, functioning on the basis of its ideas and its program, and not of uh, the charisma associated with the name of the family. Hmm. So, 
what so I, when you say she's finished, you don't see any movement in the legislative elections in a few weeks. I would be pleasantly surprised. On the other hand, it uh, it is undeniable that her performance in the debate and in the final days of of the campaign left a lot to be desired, uh, which is actually in stark contrast with the previous couple of weeks, and uh, and really disappointing. Uh, what uh, I think should also happen is the ability of the NF to create coalitions and alliances with like-minded forces and individuals who are not necessarily part of their institutionalized structure. So what do you forecast for Macron? I, I think there is a, I, I don't remember the name of the journal, but I've been seeing it all throughout the metro stations. Uh, the, 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 the title says Le Kid. And one of the, the more humorous discussions I had with, uh, with friends early on when, I guess a year ago, when this was even being floated, they would say he's too young, he's too handsome, he's too inexperienced. There was all of these two, two, twos. But the French are still understanding that they've elected someone under the age of 40 to be the head of their country. And it's still a very powerful presidency within the Fifth Republic. Do you see him, if, if the narrative is he's an establishment puppet in, in the in the mold of Obama, right? So someone who's inexperienced in government, who's promising hope and change, but who is backed by all of the people that uh, back elite candidates or elitist candidates. What, what do you expect out of this uh, five-year run? Well, I actually would hope that whatever we understand under the term establishment will keep him in check because left to his own devices, he would be even more catastrophic than uh, the mainstream would intend him to be. Uh, if you look at his statements on, uh, for instance, Angela Merkel's uh, immigration policy, he said that uh, allowing over a million uh, migrants unvetted and uh, of uh, unknown origin and affiliations into Germany in 2015 was... Uh, an example of our common European values. He said, and I quote, they saved our collective dignity by accepting, accommodating, and educating distressed refugees. Uh, so he would presumably follow, follow suit. Uh, also, he is a convinced Eurofederalist who says that uh, the solution to the threat of jihadist terrorism is more integration. Uh, and I, again, I quote, we must quickly create a sovereign Europe that is capable of protecting us against external dangers in order to better ensure internal security. We also need to overcome national unwillingness and create a common European intelligence system, etc., etc. Now, the problem has never been uh, the lack of information sharing. The problem is that even well-equipped and well-informed national intelligence services are simply not capable of handling the numbers of potential suspects. And uh, if you look at the attack on the train from uh, Brussels to Paris, at uh, Charlie Hebdo, at uh, uh, the repetition a year later, and uh, uh, the attacks in, in Nice and uh, at Berlin Christmas market, invariably you have people who at some point in time, had been on the radar screen 
of one or another security agency and then were let go and slipped through the net or uh, just released because those uh, uh, agencies are not capable of handling the numbers. The problem is that with the massive onslaught of fresh arrivals, many of them terrorist-minded, even though the percentages are small, but the actual numbers are large, on top of the pre-existent diaspora, which is increasingly uh, radicalized, especially the young who were born in the host countries, in Germany, France, Benelux, Britain, and so on, and who have absolutely no sense of affiliation and identity with those countries, uh, the task of controlling and uh, of anticipating and preventing terrorist attacks is becoming literally impossible. So it is simply absurd for uh, Macron to claim that uh, uh, an ever tighter federal union is the solution. The solution is ending Muslim immigration. The solution is deporting uh, uh, those who are prone to terrorist violence. But he will never do that. In fact, he has said that uh, French security policy has unfairly targeted Muslims and condemned those who would, uh, quote, make secularism a weapon of combat against Islam. So <laughs> far from finding problem uh, with Islam, he in fact claims that France has a problem uh, with those who regard Islam as a problem. Pirating Obama, he has even said that the Islamic State uh, in Syria and Iraq is not at all Islamic. And, and let me quote, what poses a problem is not Islam, but certain behaviors that are said to be religious and then imposed on persons who practice that religion, unquote. Now, this is simply a caricature of a Western liberal who seeks to exonerate Islam and uh, of, of any <laughs> terrorist uh, shadow and, and who seeks to uh, construct this myth that it is actually un-Islamic elements within the faith who somehow uh, uh, succeed in imposing uh, their aberrant view of that religion on, on others and leading them astray. It is simply laughable. But probably the most important problem is that uh, he doesn't identify with any form of uh, traditional France or, or, or the sense of uh, what it means to be French, what it means to belong to the nation and the country. Uh, for instance, when he was in, uh, in Britain earlier this year, he said that uh, French culture does not exist. And I quote, there is a culture in France and it is diverse, which is to say that in France, French culture and French traditions have no prominence or importance uh, greater than imported migrant cultures, primarily uh, uh, the North African Islamic ones. He also said the same day uh, while visiting London, French art, I never met it. Now, has the man been to the Louvre? <laughs> and... Uh, and, uh, well, he also uh, said that uh, colonialism was a, 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 a sin. Um, I'm trying to remember the, the phrasing he used, but it was a crime against humanity, I think, was the phrase he used in French. See, what we have is a, a, a postmodern liberal on steroids. And in that sense, uh, I have to repeat that if there is any 
uh, common sense left among the members of, of the French establishment. And I'm not talking about cretins like Henri Lévy and, uh, and uh, Rive Gauche intellectuals. Uh, I'm talking about uh, the elements of the deep state in the security services, the military, the police, the civil service, uh, the graduates of Ecole Normale and so on. Uh, they should actually keep him under control and try to turn him into a puppet because if he's unleashed and left to his own devices, he will ruin France. Well, and I, some had made the point that if if he ends up being a disaster, that someone like a Marine Le Pen, maybe not her or someone from the National Front because of all that baggage, but that a far-right candidate could be elected because at that point people will have said that they've tried everything. Well, uh, alas, by that time, and we are looking at 2022, France will be in an infinitely worse shape than it is today. And furthermore, uh, with naturalization of further millions of these unassimilable uh, Muslim immigrants, uh, the uh, electoral scales may be tipped uh, in such a way that uh, we have this uh, never-ending race which can never be won by true Frenchmen because there will be always new waves of uh, clubbable, quote-unquote, immigrants who become French citizens and who will, of course, vote for the equivalent of Macron next time round. But I think this is the narrative, Dr. Trivkovich, that, that she presented her vision as the, um, she used the, in, in English, it would have been the patriots versus the globalists. And it seems as though the French, there were 11 million of them who believe in, in that dichotomy and voted for her. And the rest of the French just were happy to let the establishment candidate, again, whatever establishment we want to call it, uh, prevail. Yes, that's indeed also what I wrote in in my uh, Chronicles column uh, for the month of June, that there is something about the lower middle class Frenchmen, uh, uh, something about uh, their uh, creature comforts and uh, and their uh, comfort level with uh, the well-established, uh, well-trodden path that simply disregards uh, the existential issues of decades ahead and what kind of country they're going to leave to, to their progeny. Uh, a similar problem was in evidence in uh, uh, the interwar years, in the 1930s in particular, which resulted in the debacle of, of May 1940, uh, when even during the uh, phony war period, the drôle de guerre, uh, the constant question while they were sitting on the Maginot line uh, in the winter of 1939-40 was pour qui, pourquoi, uh, for whom, for what. Well, uh, if they don't realize for whom and for what, uh, they need to reassert their identity and their values and their proprietorship over their country, the game is really up. Well, heading across the the channel, Dr. Zivkovich, I noted that none of the newspapers and really the, the, the news shows, so Andrew Marr and, and Andrew Neal and all those people, it, it, first it was a foregone conclusion that Macron was going to win. Second, they repeated the same lies that the rest of the Western media 
uh, put forward that Macron was this quote-unquote centrist candidate when it's clear that, that you know, whatever he claims right. he is, he's not centrist, right? That uh, for some Brexiteers, Marine Le Pen would have been a win, even though uh, it would have been someone who was negotiating for France's best interest, that it would have meant that the Brexit momentum was continuing, and they would have had someone who was in favor of Brexit negotiating or helping to negotiate. Instead, this definitely leans the power back into Brussels. And we have Theresa May calling a snap election, which she said she wasn't going to do, and seeming to get into all sorts of rhetorical fights with uh, the European Council, the European Commission, before the negotiations have even officially begun. So what did you think of this snap election? Did she have to call this? And where do you see this going? She didn't have to do it, but I think it was the right moment to do it because the Labour Party is in disarray and uh, it has an unpopular leader who, on the one hand, sticks to uh, the old left ideology and rhetoric, on the other, uh, has been reluctant to embrace Euroscepticism, in fact, advised uh, Labour followers to vote uh, in favour of staying. Uh, 11 months ago. Uh, I think that uh, she wants a stronger mandate from uh, her own party uh, uh, as she enters negotiations with Brussels, but I don't think those negotiations will be quite as hard and tough as they would have us believe. I think that in the end she will make concessions on uh, EU citizens who are already in Britain, that uh, there will be no retroactive change of their status, that they will enjoy all of the facilities and social services and uh, will be on path to permanent residence. This in particular applies to the most numerous uh, Euro diaspora in Britain, which is Polish, and other various East European communities, which are not particularly popular in Britain, by the way, including Romanians and Bulgarians. On the other hand, uh, I think it's uh, in her favor that the economic cost of looming Brexit has not been nearly as high as forecast at the time of the referendum last June, and that uh, uh, there is a certain sense of uh, of relief in the financial and uh, and business community that uh, it indeed uh, may even hold some hidden benefits in the medium to long term. And uh, there will be, uh, in particular, a uh, renewed emphasis on the special relationship with Washington. Hmm. If we step back and we're, we're in mid-2017 or heading towards the summer, the, the tone of the last year of, of events. So we've had Brexit, we had the Trump election, then we had the defeat, you could call it a defeat, the, the lack of success, of, uh, of greater success for Geert Wilders, and this defeat of Marine Le Pen. Uh, some might say it's 2-2, right? So you've got Brexit and the, uh, the Trump election, and then you have the, the Netherlands and the French vote. And quite obviously, it will either be Martin Schulz or uh, Madame Merkel in, in the fall, and that really really doesn't spell too much of a change for, for the German position. Where are we now, a year on, uh, almost a year on from Brexit, uh, in terms of global outlook, and, and where do you see us going in the next 12 months? 
Uh, I wish it was 2-2. In fact, it's 3-1. Brexit, (laughs) yes, but uh, Trump's victory was followed by a massive and sustained and ultimately successful attempt by the deep state to prevent uh, the fulfillment of some of the key elements of his his campaign pledges, including detente with Russia, including uh, serious questioning of the usefulness of the North Atlantic Alliance more than a quarter century after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the dismantling of the Warsaw Pact. Uh, We saw his reversal even on, on the Syrian front, uh, with uh, the attack on the Syrian government airbase after what was obviously a false flag incident, and uh, also no retreat from uh, uh, the full spectrum dominance rhetoric, no dismantling of uh, the global empire, which after all was the essence of uh, putting America first and making America great again. Uh, I think that he has succumbed to the pressure of uh, establishmentarian figures in his own uh, team, uh, Vice President Mike Pence, Secretary of State Tillerson, who during his confirmation hearings, for instance, said that uh, uh, China's militarization of South China Sea Islands was comparable to uh, uh, the Russian annexation of Crimea. Uh, National Security uh, Advisor McMaster's, who spent many years at the Pentagon planning for uh, a conventional or nuclear war against the Russian Federation and so on. So this to me became obvious on 17th of February. I believe that was a significant date because that was when both uh, uh, Vice President Pence and Secretary of State Tillerson spoke at the Munich Security Conference and made statements urbi et orbi about NATO forever, about the great and glorious European Union, and about the Russian threat. And uh, they actually spoke and behaved and acted as if they were fully in charge. And of course, the Europeans were delighted. It meant that the adults were back in charge in the White House. And then Perhaps typically for his temperament, Trump seems to have embraced uh, this new paradigm, which is in fact old, uh, because having realized that he cannot defeat the, the deep state, he decided that he would prefer to embrace its rhetoric and its strategic outlook and its framework of analysis, rather than appear to be browbeaten and forced into accepting, uh, into accepting their dictate. So you would say a strategic defeat? Yes, absolutely. I think that uh, uh, what we are witnessing now may be still uh, much less bad than uh, what would have been the U.S. policy and and global strategy under Hillary Clinton. But it is certainly a wasted historic opportunity to redefine both the entire paradigm of the global empire and uh, and the kind of relationship we need with Russia to have some sanity introduced into the discourse on all things Russian after this period of of uh, hysterical paranoia that uh, it cannot even be compared to McCarthyism. It is more akin to uh, the feverish pitch of paranoid great purges in Moscow in the 1930s. 
So if you're scoring it 3-1, you see Brexit as an isolated anomaly that is not going to be repeated? And that is actually going to be absorbed into uh, the establishmentarian view of other things British. In other words, it will not be a herald of bold and uh, uh, comprehensive reassertment of of British identity, British culture and British tradition, and that, in fact, it it will be declawed, it will be normalized within the perimeters and paradigm of uh, the London equivalent of uh, Upper East Side and the Washington Beltway. You uh, put a great uh, deal of of stress on the United States' role in moving things one way or the other, and I think that's that's a fair point. Can we see a realignment in terms of Russia and China, in terms of currency, gold, uh, coordinated defense exercises, that Russia and China acting in this in the same mold, in the same ways, that they could pr- actually produce a counterweight to the United States that has never been seen before? Not as yet. And uh, having been in Russia twice in the past two months and having attended uh, the Moscow Economic Forum, which is really the forum for patriotic economists who are critical of uh, the Russian government policies and the central bank in particular, uh, there is no consensus in Russia, and this may be somewhat surprising to our listeners, on uh, uh, any strategy of de-dollarization. Uh, uh, the governor of the Russian Central Bank, Elvira Nabulina, is in fact an upholder of the Washingtonian consensus. And uh, 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 the key bankers, uh, uh, the oligarchs who control uh, private banks, are loath to uh, give up on, on their treasury bonds and uh, uh, to uh, agree to any policy that would risk uh, the loss of their value which is ultimately what de-dollarization would lead to. At the same time, the Chinese are in a somewhat ambivalent position. They don't feel they're ready for uh, a serious confrontation with the United States as yet. They want to make certain trade concessions so that Trump can claim that he has uh, made significant progress on one of uh, the key planks of of his election rhetoric. But at the same time, they do not want to uh, give up on on their own uh, treasury bond holdings and are continuing to purchase them. So the rhetoric of uh, finding alternatives to the dollar so far has simply meant that in their mutual exchange, Russia and China are using a basket of currencies, which also includes dollars. But uh, uh, for a true movement to happen, we would need to see for instance, rapprochement between China and India, and it's not on the horizon. Those two countries have deeply divergent uh, cultural traditions, views of themselves, and uh, security interests. They still have unresolved border issues, Mm. and uh, I don't think that uh, if we look at uh, the once BRICS context, well, Brazil is out of the game, South Africa is in disarray, China and India don't really see eye to eye. Russia still has, within its economic and financial structure, the lack of consensus on long-term strategy. And China 
feels that uh, the day of reckoning with the American global empire is still some decades off. Hmm. Well, a very um, sunny outlook uh, for the uh, mid mid part of 2017, Dr. Trifkovich, but alas, this is the reality. Yes, I uh, am, of course, uh, not saying what I would like to uh, uh, see happen, but I think that we have not seen the sunset on the American empire. That empire does not serve true interests of the American people. It will not make the United States either richer or more safe than it is today, but uh, too many careers, too much money, and uh, too many uh, ideological uh, 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 treasures have been invested into it within the American deep state for that to be given up lightly. As always, Dr. Drifkovich, thank you for taking time to enlighten our, our listeners and our readers a bit more, and we'll see what world events prompt uh, a future episode. Thank you for having me, and it's always a pleasure to be your guest. Thank you for listening to a podcast of the Fleming Foundation. All rights are reserved. These podcasts are made possible by our paid members, who ensure that our hosts and writers can contribute regularly, not on a volunteer basis. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, or if you wish to acquire rebroadcast rights, please email podcasts at fleming.foundation. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at the Foundation, make the most of a dark age. <laughs>